and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be a part of this here program. Glad to have you. You can always follow me on social media, E.W. Erickson. Uh, you'll like me best on Instagram. It's my favorite. E.W. Erickson, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of other places. <laughs> E.W. Erickson. You can always email me, eric at ewerickson.com. Go to ewerickson.com. I'm ubiquitous. There's a story in the Washington Post that I think actually explains some of what's going on here. The jobless situation in the country is more complex than a lot of people like to talk about. To be sure... COVID and the payment, the subsidies for unemployment had a lot to do with it early on, but the situation has changed now as those subsidies have been going away. Uh, And real world story here, when I was, gosh, when was it? I guess it was in March. I think it was in March. I went out to Las Vegas for a trip and the wait for an Uber was 20 or 30 minutes. I was coming back from a steakhouse one night with Philip, who was with me on this trip, and our Uber driver, it took, I mean, 20 minutes waiting for an Uber at the steakhouse, and we got in the car and started having a conversation with the guy. It was very funny. Um, Commented on why, what was going on in Las Vegas at the time, that it was hard to get an Uber driver, and he said, nothing, nothing is going on. And there really, there weren't any major sporting events. There was one like boxing match, I think, but that was about it. Um, He said the problem was that people were getting their unemployment checks and not working, not driving Uber. Said you would think that they would want to drive Uber to make extra cash. And he said, not at this time because people are getting so much in supplemental unemployment, they're staying home. And so I said, or asked him, why aren't you doing it? (laughs) His answer, and I am not making this up. His answer was, and I quote, because I like steak and hookers. <laughs> I'm, I'm not making that up. That was his actual answer. Um, that's why he was driving Uber, because unemployment does not pay enough to feed his habit of good steak and hookers. I was not expecting that answer, to be quite honest with you. I, I, I was. There were a lot of answers I was expecting, but I was not expecting that. It's just, it was insight into this entrepreneurial Uber driver and why he needed to drive. But as we've gone on, the unemployment subsidies have started fading away. And yet we're still having this great discombobulation in the country. And one of the reasons we're having the discombobulation is one that progressives never expected and don't like. Moms who were in lockdown with their kids realized they enjoyed being with their kids. And it really is disproportionately women, not men. It's not that men don't like being home with their kids, but they, many of them feel obligated to work. And the moms are realizing after zoom classes with the kids and how terrible it was that they could do a better job with their kids. And they've become more invested in their kids' education than they are in their work. So a lot of them decided to stay home. There's been a fall off in women in the workforce as a result. Now, the Washington Post today has a story about 
Liberty County, Hinesville, Georgia. Liberty County, Georgia, uh, let me give you the precise locations for Liberty County. Um, Liberty County, Georgia is, yes, Fort Stewart. It's south of Savannah. Hinesville, um, it's the Fort Stewart area there. There's a prison system there as well. The Washington Post has this story that kind of shows you the the full data and extent of how COVID has shaken up the workforce. It's not just moms deciding to stay home with their kids, which is actually a good portion of the data, that they realized they could do it. They realized they could make ends meet. They realized that it was good for their kids, and so they've done it. But it's others as well, and it's having a spillover cascading effect. Let me just read you the opening up here. Maggie Town quit her job as a hotel front desk manager because the pandemic taught her she could squeeze by without her paycheck. New, now home with her kids, Town says her life is much improved, but at the La Quinta Hotel she left, an exodus of housekeepers and front desk workers forced owner Hasid Patel to close the swimming pool and fitness center and sharply reduce room cleaning. Fannie Lou Bruton left her job as a cook because she didn't want to be around as many people anymore. She realized, she said, that I did enough. She delighted that the coronavirus pandemic drove her into retirement. But at Isola's Country Cafe, where the staff has plummeted from 42 to 12 workers, the owners had to eliminate breakfast, slash their hours, and shut entirely on Sundays. Liberty County, 45-minute drive southwest of Savannah, Georgia, is Quit Town, USA one of many places around the country where the pandemic slammed the brakes on propulsive job growth and startling numbers of people have quit their jobs this year, including more than 12 million Americans this fall alone. The result, according to business owners and county officials, is a place where people are thinking about work in new, sometimes revelatory ways, but also feeling the pain of reduced services, pinched bottom lines, and a diminished sense of community. Workers who have stepped away from full-time jobs say the pandemic helped them discover they can survive on occasional gig work and governmental benefits. And many Liberty County residents left minimum wage positions at restaurants, hotels, and retail outlets to take jobs at the county's burgeoning warehouses and distribution centers. The upside, as much as double the pay and more flexibility in work hours. The downside, severe strains at the mom-and-pop businesses they quit and damaged or severed long-standing social bonds. Now, you get the sense of this article, and I appreciate the Washington Post covering it in this way because it actually does reflect and show there is a real, well, there's a disconnect in the country on jobs and the economy, and particularly in local communities, how bigger businesses coming in can shake up an economy. Now, we've always known, for example, that when a Walmart comes in to an area, there was a real nimbyism in the past, not in my backyard. When a Walmart comes into an area, it could wreck economic havoc for small businesses. It can upend Main Streets. But it preceded Walmart. Uh, people like to blame Walmart because they don't like Walmart. I'm not a big Walmart fan these days. But it was really the, the retail mall. When the mall moved into American shopping centers, downtowns were gutted. A lot of businesses moved into the mall because let's be honest, a mall, particularly an indoor mall, 
was really a convenient place. You could go to a mall and you could find everything you need. You need housewares, all right, go to Winsonoma. You need clothes, well, there are ample places for clothes. You need cosmetics, well, there are ample places for those. And you get the best of the best in many cases. And you don't have to go from store to store to store to store to store in a downtown area. So downtowns where you had the shoe store and you had the clothing store and you had the houseware store and you had the cosmetic store and you had the local restaurants, they all went into malls with chains and it was no longer the mom and pop store. Downtown America got gutted, but, but there's been a resurgence in downtowns. Now, some cities don't really have downtowns per se. So take Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta has a downtown business area with hotels and event spaces and governmental entities, but it's not a downtown per se. It's not downtown per se. Uh, what it is, is smaller cities have downtown. So take Marietta, Georgia. Marietta, Georgia has a downtown square. They have events on the square. They have restaurants on the square. They've got mom and pop shops on the square. Or take Macon, Georgia. I'm using Georgia because that's where I'm really familiar. In Macon, Georgia, when I was in law school, I went to Mercer University and then to Mercer University Law School, Walter F. George School of Law. And there were a couple of restaurants in downtown Macon, but there really weren't places you wanted to go downtown. And over time, as more and more people have moved downtown into lofts and stuff, there have been a variety of restaurants. There are great breweries. Downtown Macon's got some fantastic restaurants. It does not have any grocery stores. They've tried to put a grocery store there for a while, but it doesn't sustain itself. But there are little businesses that are worth knickknack shops and the like that are worth going into. What you don't see are big retailers putting things downtown. Now, let's compare and contrast that to, say, um, where Stanford University is out in California. It has a very neat downtown area there. Um, where Stanford is. I've, I've been through there several times. Uh, I've had to go to meetings out there um, in Stanford, and there is a, um, there's a downtown area, and it actually really is Palo Alto is where it is, off of Stanford's campus. But there are some great hotels down there. There's a Weston and there's a Sheraton, and then you have the downtown area, and it's all very walkable. And it's like an outdoor mall, but it's downtown Palo Alto. There's an Apple store there. I'm looking at the map now. There's a van store. There's your Verizon store. There's your restoration hardware, a West Elm. There's your T-Mobile store. There's your McDonald's. There's your Starbucks. There's your CVS. But it's all a very walkable downtown. And they zoned around it there. But here's what's happening. You... Here are the names of the stores that I gave you, by and large, West Elm, Restoration Hardware, Verizon, T-Mobile, Apple, Rejuvenation. Those are national chains. You don't have the small mom and pop stores anymore. The retail space is occupied by the big national chains. It's harder and harder in the mom and pop space. And then go back to this Washington Post story in Hinesville, Georgia. JJ's Bar and Grill the local La Quinta Inn, Isola's Country Cafe. These are businesses that only exist in those locations. And as people have checked out on COVID, it's another hit 
on small business America. It's another hit on small town America. It's another hit on the economies of many counties in the country. And it's all related to people going through COVID and realizing they could exist. Now, I'm here to tell you something else. And you need to follow along with me here because what I say may rock the boat a little bit. Out of the gate, out of the gate, it's a bad thing. It hurts. But long term, I'm not so sure it's a bad thing. Certainly, the economies of scale will have to adjust. Certainly, our ability to go out to restaurants and have the restaurants there we want, that's what I'm most worried about is the restaurant industry where we all have our favorite little restaurants and if they don't have enough workers, they close down. But is it really a bad thing that mothers realized because of COVID, you know what, I can give up my job and my family can still make ends meet. We don't have to keep up with the Joneses anymore. I can be invested in my kid's school. Now, when you say these things, people immediately run towards sexism. Oh, you think the mothers should stay home with the kids? Actually, I think the data shows that having a parent, regardless of which parent it is, staying home with the kids, your kids get a leg up on everyone else in society. So is it a bad thing in a time that our public school systems are collapsing, our schools are failing, that people are looking at COVID and saying, you know what? We can make do without this extra job. We can do it for the kids. We can have more family time. I don't know that it's a bad thing. Now, it certainly sucks to be in with, and it sucks if you're in business and you got to close because you don't have people working. You don't have people coming in. You're not making ends meet. Yeah, it, 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 there's terrible economic fallout there. But that's the short term. What about the long term where suddenly we're rebuilding families and we're having parents, one of them home with their kid, reengaged in their academic achievement? Long term, the reassessments in society might actually do us well, and maybe we should acknowledge the short-term chaos, headache, and heartache, but also understand that this might actually get us something we need as a society for the long-term perpetuation of our society. For several years when I practiced law, I volunteered for the Alliance Defending Freedom to be an on-call lawyer forum. It's one of the few legal nonprofits in the country that really racks up wins both state courts and federal courts for conservatives and Christians. People have a Christian conservative worldview. Since leaving my law practice, I volunteered in the past to speak at ADF events. I've been to their training sessions where they teach lawyers and pundits how to talk plainly about complex legal issues and understand the state of play on cases around the country from local city councils all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now I'm glad to have ADF as an advertiser, but honestly, I'd be encouraging you to support them this time of year anyway. The Alliance Defending Freedom takes donations from you and uses them to help those who can't afford lawyers hire the very best lawyers to fight for freedom from the Supreme Court of the land all the way down to the local level. Right now, ADF has received a matching grant, so all new donors will have their gifts matched. All you have to do is go to adflegal.org slash Erickson today and donate. adflegal.org slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Hi there and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Tim Carney. In the Washington Examiner makes a point. I'm glad somebody else made this besides me. Here's the headline for the left. The only good Republican is a dead Republican. 
Paul Krugman uh, wrote a piece in the New York Times about Bob Dole dying. Here's what Paul Krugman said. It's not just that he was a war hero or that he reminds us of an era in which the two parties were willing to work together in the national interest. His life story also reminds us of a time when public figures were supposed to show some sense of responsibility, to possess basic decency, to admit to mistakes when they made them, even to put their lives on the line in time of war. Human nature being what it is, many people who pretended to have these virtues were hypocrites. But at least that was the ideal, and being an obvious crook, liar, or coward was politically disqualifying. Not anymore. And then, of course, Krugman uses his entire column to attack Donald Trump and the Republican Party. Here's Paul Krugman in 1996 when Bob Dole was running against Bill Clinton. It's a shame that we must choose between the lesser of two evils, but we must. Mr. Clinton's sins are venal compared with the desperate irresponsibility and cynicism of his opponent, Bob Dole. We expect responsible adults to start preparing for their retirement decades in advance. Why shouldn't we ask the same of our government? Mr. Clinton basically passes this test. Some people say that this election is not only about policy, but also about character. I agree. But when I look at Bob Dole, I see a man who, for the sake of ambition, would choose to gamble with the very solvency of our country. Mr. Dole deserves to lose. I mean, we see this all the time, don't we? I I have said for years now, in fact, I've written this all the way back in 2017 and said it on radio, that the moment the Republicans nominate someone not named Donald Trump, the media will take the position of, well, you know, we hated Donald Trump, but at least we knew what we were getting. This guy is, is crazier and worse than Trump. This person's terrible. You know they're going to do it. You put a DeSantis on the ballot, and, well, you know, Donald Trump is bad, but look at all the people who died in Florida because of Ron DeSantis or Josh Halley. We know Donald Trump was bad, but Josh Halley knew better and still raised his fists to the crowd on January 6th. You know what's going to happen. Or look at Mitt Romney, who is alive, but Mitt Romney was vilified as a Republican presidential candidate. Binders full of women, people. But then he voted for Donald Trump's impeachment, and he's a hero, until he came out and opposed raising the debt ceiling, and then he's vilified again. The moment he dies off, he will be the patron saint of Democratic contempt for Republicans. George W. Bush as well. I mean, they still hate George W. Bush to a degree, but they like him a whole lot more than Trump. And they can always say, well, you know, George W. Bush was a madman who wanted to conquer the planet, but at least he wasn't a racist. And then, of course, there's John McCain. My gosh, the love of John McCain from the left right now. Uh, They always do this, and we should remember it. We should largely remember it because it means we can't take what they say about sitting Republicans seriously because they always do this. But this time, they're really super serial. Whatever. When we come back, the Democrats, well, I hated to make all day show political, but there's so much news out there. And the Democrats, they say they're backing Biden for 2024 and they're begging him not to run.
It's the holidays. You deserve a gift, a gift that keeps on giving you joy and comfort every day, all year long, a gift that looks as good as it feels and a gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much more productive you'll be at work. Let me tell you guys, just forget a script on X chair. I had one of those really expensive multi-thousand dollar desk chairs and I loved it. And I wasn't sure about the X chair, but my gosh, now I've got the X chair and I can't go back. I had to give the other chair to my wife. The X chair has a built-in massager. It's super ergonomic. I ergonomic, ergonomic. I love mine. It's got the massage chair. It can get cool. It can get warm. It can warm my back while I'm sitting in my chair. Your office chair can't do that. It's the perfect time to buy the X chair. And here's their holiday gift to you. Save $100 off your X chair just by purchasing it at xchaireric.com now. That's the letter X chair, E-R-I-C-K.com. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaireric.com and save xchaireric.com. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, events change things. I say this regularly. It is not my quote. I believe it was Harold McMillan, the British prime minister. A young man asked him after his victory what would throw him off his game, what would disrupt his agenda, and he said, events, dear boy, events. Events change things. You know, if I produce swag for this show, something will have to say people are stupid, and the other will have to say events change things because I say those two things probably more than most things on this program. People are stupid and events change things. I stand by both statements. Let's focus on the events. The American media is gearing up to cover campaign 2024. We're not even out of 2021 yet. And we have to get through the 2022 midterms first. And events change things. 2022 could change the outlook for 2024. There is a sense that if President Trump can in some way be stopped in Georgia from getting David Perdue the Republican nomination, that that would somehow obstruct him in 2024. I don't know that that's the case, but perhaps. I'm still not sure, given the age he will be, that he runs in 2024, but events can change things. The New York Times says Democrats are solidly behind Biden. There's no consensus about a plan B. Addressing reporters at a meeting of the Democratic Governors Association, In New Orleans, Governor Roy Cooper of North Carolina gave an emphatic answer when asked whether he expected President Biden to seek a second term and whether he believed that was in the best interest of his party. I do and I do, Mr. Cooper said on Friday, adding, I fully expect him to seek re-election and I will support him. And in fact, we're going to win North Carolina for him. 
But three minutes later, Mr. Cooper, the only Democratic governor to twice win a state that former President Trump carried on the same ballot, was sketching out what could be the makings of a Cooper for President message to primary voters. The Democrats don't have a plan B yet. They need a plan B because it's not going to be Joe Biden. Joe Biden is already too old. It's starting to show, by the way. I mean, you can't help, but I I have been more hesitant than most in the conservative sphere on talk radio and television from pointing out the, the slips and the flubs and the ridiculousness. And I've done it some. And it's not to ridicule Joe Biden. It's to point out that Joe Biden is not the Joe Biden of just four years ago. There has clearly been a mental turn for Joe Biden, a mental and physical turn for Joe Biden. And it's just the reality. And the sooner people accept it, the sooner people realize there's got to be more moving on. <clears throat> By outside pressure from out, from autocrats, not, 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 not to uh, assert that any one of our democracies is perfect, investing in our own democratic, our, our own democracy, supporting our, our partners. We, presume, we pursued a broad-based agenda, a true active consensus between Democrats and Republicans in our country. And soon, and soon, I hope, I hope to sign into law a bill we call the Build Back Better Plan. Provide baselines for assessing the accessing the ballot box and just evaporates confidence that the people must need to have in their government. And today I'm proud to launch the Presidential Initiative for Democratic Renewal, which will focus efforts across diplomacy, across our diplomacy and foreign assistance programs to bolster democratic resilience and human rights and globally. We're going to launch new programs to help connect anti-corruption activities, empowering the LGBTQ community, plus community, working or and, and work organizations. Now, and we'll stand up to, we're, we're going to stand up to rapid response cross-cutting initiatives and the Partnership for Democracy, for, for democracy program. I'm so looking forward to a productive session and, and discussions that we'll have, a, we'll have over the next two days. Mr. President, uh, Thank you so much for kicking off the, the summit of democracy. Yes, that was edited up. Yes, it was a montage. But yes, you get the point. He's mumbling. He's slurring. He's coughing. He's getting confused. The LGBTQL community plus community, among others. They got a problem on their side. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the media who are so scared of a resurgence of Donald Trump, they they don't want to talk about any of this. And part of the problem, you need to understand this, and it's, it's a legitimate issue here. Part of the problem Democrats have is that by their use of the press to silence anyone who points this stuff out, they actually make the problem even worse. When you scream about it so much, it causes people to notice there's something not right there. And there is something not right there, and you could hear it. And what makes matters worse for the Democrats is two words, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is a terrible politician. Peggy Noonan on Friday in the Wall Street Journal had a column about this. 
and she is being excoriated for what she said. And she said nothing out of turn. She said nothing wrong. She's being accused of racism and sexism. Peggy Noonan, for those of you who do not know, wrote Ronald Reagan's major speeches, including his speech about the Challenger disaster. If you've never heard Ronald Reagan's speeches about the Challenger disaster, it's actually a master class in public speaking. And she wrote that speech for him. She knows what she's talking about. She understands people. This is Noonan. I trace Harris's decline to what when she went to Guatemala and Mexico in June for meetings on immigration. Near the end, in what should have been a highly prepared meeting with the press, she launched into a sort of mindless ramble in which she kept saying we have to find out the root causes of illegal immigration. She said it over and over. My trip was about addressing the root causes. The story that I heard and the intersections, interactions we had today reinforced the nature of these root causes. So the work that we have to do is the work of addressing the causes, the root causes. There is no one in America, including immigrants, who doesn't know the root causes of illegal immigration. They're coming for a better life. America has jobs, a social safety net, public sympathy for the underdog. Something good might happen to you here. Nothing good was going to happen at home. That's why immigrants are coming. Studying root causes is a way of saying you want to look busy without doing nothing. Her supporters grouse that she's criticized because she's a woman. They see sexist overtones and gender dynamics. This was echoed in this week's Washington Post piece. Her defenders say criticism is steeped in racism and sexism. She faces a double standard for women who are ambitious, powerful, or simply unafraid to appear strong in public. But she doesn't seem strong in public. She seems scattered and unprepared. Her real problem looks more like this. And this is what has Democrats fuming about Peggy Noonan. She writes this. Kamala Harris loves the politics of politics too much and not the meaning. When people meet with her, they come away saying that what she cares about is the politics of an issue, not the issue itself. But even as she's obsessed with the game of national politics, she's not so far particularly good at it. When she sought the Democratic presidential nomination in 2020, she spectacularly flamed out. And then there's this bit of wisdom. Kamala Harris came from a generation of California Democrats who never even had to meet a Republican. So great was their electoral dominance. It was too easy for them. She only had to speak Democrat, only had to know how they think and put together party coalitions. But half or more of the country is conservative or Republican. She never had to develop the broad political talents to talk to them too. Holy moly, she's right. She's absolutely right. Kamala Harris has never had to engage with Republicans. She's only been in the United States Senate since, what, 2017? So she doesn't know Washington. She doesn't have the experience. And she keeps screwing up. It's a real problem if you're a Democrat because Joe Biden can't run in 2024. He just can't. He's too old. And his successor is too incompetent, which means the Democrats will, after a one year, one, one presidential administration, will have to go into a free-for-all like Republicans. 
And the Republicans, meanwhile, are gravitating towards Ron DeSantis. You know, there's polling out that only 34% of Democrats want to have Joe Biden run again. What I think is the more notable data point is that only 60% of Republicans want Donald Trump to run again. Now, you're thinking, as many people in the press are, oh my gosh, 60%, that's strong. Except right after the election, it was 90%. So it's fallen 30 points. And we're still in 2021. We're still in 2021. We're only slightly more than a year removed from the election. In fact, the Electoral College hadn't even voted yet to elect the president last year. And he's down 30 points on should he run in 2024. We haven't gotten through the midterms. If Stacey Abrams gets elected in Georgia, Donald Trump's going to own a lot of that blame. That'll shift things. If Brian Kemp wins the Republican nomination, it makes him look a little weaker. That changes things. If Ron DeSantis has a banner year in 2022 running for re-election in Florida and the Florida Republicans have a big boost, well, that kind of helps Ron DeSantis. And DeSantis wants to run in 2024. And so do a lot of other people. Events change things. And 2022 comes first. And because 2022 comes, the dynamics change for the Republicans and the Democrats, things change for 2024. But here's another dynamic that changes, one that doesn't get talked about by anybody. One of the reasons Joe Biden is doing as badly as he is right now is because he controls it all. The Democrats control the House and the Democrats control the Senate and the Democrats control the White House. There's no Republican to blame. The Republicans are going to take back the House. They'll probably take back the Senate. And so then he will have someone to blame. My question, though, is will the public blame the GOP? And I don't think they will. And here's why I don't think they will. Because the media has been blaming the Republicans for so long now about everything. And the blame game won't change. So when they blame the Republicans for inflation, they blame the Republicans for the virus, they blame the Republicans for crime, they blame the Republicans for everything, or at least they've refused to blame Antifa, Black Lives Matters, and the like, that's not going to change even after the Republicans take back. And it's already gone, it's gone over everybody's head. It's fallen on deaf ears at this point. So when the language of the blame game doesn't change, I don't know that the public buys it. But also there's this. I more and more, despite White House rhetoric to the contrary, I don't think Biden is going to run in four years. If he does, he's not going to be out on the campaign trail. He's going to do a living in his mama's basement campaign like he did last time. Except not his mama's basement, his own. And you're going to have a dynamic Republican out there campaigning with large crowds. That sort of stuff ultimately matters. 2020 was about the public turned on Donald Trump. They didn't like him. They might have liked his policies, but they didn't like him. And now the public, they don't like Joe Biden either. They don't even like Joe Biden's policies. They liked Donald Trump's policies. If the Republicans put up someone who's not Trump with Trump's policies, that person has an advantage. But again, events change things. We don't know. 
What we do know is it's not a good look for Democrats that in 2021, even before the midterms, they're already considering their 2024 options and don't like look like they like what they see. That signals they know they're lost in 2022. It's on cruise control at this point. And their real threat is what happens after 2022 that gets them into 2024. There are all sorts of warning signs for them, and none of them are good. Now, there's a sign for you. I, a buddy of mine yesterday was at my house, and he had an, an ozone emitter uh, generator that he had to put in his wife's car for a reason. And I told him, you know what you should have gotten? You should have gotten the Eden Pure Thunderstorm because instead of rigging up this contraption and a hose and sealing a window and sticking a pipe in the window, you could have just gotten the Eden Pure Thunderstorm and you can run it in your car. It works great. It eliminates odors. You can run it in your basement. You can run it in your uh, upstairs, your downstairs. And right now you can get three of them or you can get three of them and pass them off to three different friends and you save $200. You get them for less than $200. And you get free shipping. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. Eden like the Garden of Eden. Pure is the driven snow. Deals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. You click on my name, Eric Erickson. You see the Eden Pure Thunderstorm air purifier. You put it in your cart. And at checkout, you'll see a discount code. You put in Eric3. E-R-I-C-K and the number three. No space. Eric3. You will save $200. You will get all three of them for less than $200. You will get free shipping. You will clean the air in your house. It eliminates bacteria, the mold, the pollen, the mildew that floats around, the spores. It also actually cleans the air. It doesn't mask odors. It eliminates odors. EdenPureDeals.com. Eric3 at checkout. Oh, I've gone back and forth on what I want to say here, but I, I think I need to actually make a make a point here. And, and I've, we, we've had enough politics today. I would like to thank my friends out there who are Southern Baptist. I don't know if you guys know this, but almost at every point in the last 20 years, when there has been a natural disaster in the United States, the Southern Baptists have beaten everybody else to the ground. And I, this is, there's no joking here. I'm not being flippant here. And it is, it's remarkable that after the storms hit Kentucky and so many lives taken homes and businesses destroyed. It was the North American Mission Board for the Southern Baptists who were the first boots on the ground. After Katrina blew through New Orleans in 2005, it was the Southern Baptists that beat Walmart, FEMA, and everybody else on the ground. After Hurricane Michael a couple of years ago blew through South Georgia, wreaking devastation, just ravaging the state, it was the Southern Baptists who were first on the ground. And this time, with these tornadoes, again, it was the Southern Baptists who were the first on the ground. Uh, the North American Mission Board and the Southern Baptist commitment to the United States is remarkable. And they don't get enough credit, and they fly under the radar. They oftentimes don't get enough credit because they are a religious institution. We do need to be mindful of that. And a lot of people don't like to promote that religious institutions are the first on the ground. But they were. They did not care. If the people they were helping were gay or straight, Democrat or Republican, saved or unsaved, Baptist or Presbyterian or atheist or Catholic, it didn't matter. They were there to help. And they deserve extraordinary credit for their charitable endeavors to help people put their lives back together after natural disasters. Uh, they routinely and regularly beat the federal government and the private sector. 
They are a mobilized strike force to bring aid and comfort to people in times of natural disaster. And they deserve a ton of credit. They really do. They don't get it. And I'm glad to be able to use my platform here and elsewhere to highlight the fact that they were first and they're already on the ground helping people. And thank you. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no, it's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 